Another episode of Say It Loud with your favorite gilf and homie, uh, Karen L. And today in my hot seat is Miss Latoya Dwight of the Fibroid Pandemic. Hi, Latoya. How are you? How you doing, Karen? I'm doing fantabulous. Thank you so much for asking. How about yourself? I'm well. <laughs> I'm well. I'm better than well. I'm good. Good for you. I love to hear that. <laughs> I love your voice. It's so soothing. You should like read um, those meditation things for people to go to sleep at night. You know what's interesting? You are not the first person who said that. <laughs> I've actually heard that so many times. I, I think my voice sounds a little bit annoying, but thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, you should really do that. We need it. We need it's just very calming and, and soothing. So, I yeah. Um, so I invited Latoya on the show to talk to us about the fibroid pandemic and the work that she is doing to bring awareness um, about fibroids and what people are living with who are um, faced with having fibroids. Me being one of those people, I thought it was really important. We talk on the show about a lot about sex and sexuality and wellness. And I think this is a big topic, especially in the black and brown community, um, where we need to be educated. And so that's why Latoya is here to kind of give us everything we need to know and then some. Let's do it. All right. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about the fibroid pandemic. So before I get started, I just want to say thank you so much for having me. You know, I know that you've, you've had several guests on your show before. And I know that there can be anyone sitting at this seat at this time slot this very day. And I don't take it lightly. So thank you so much for having me here. Um, my name is Latoya Dwight. I'm the founder of the Fibroid Pandemic. And in a nutshell, in all honesty, the Fibroid Pandemic was really created to provide resources to um, Black and Brown women, Black and Brown individuals, actually, who are looking to um, heal from uterine fibroids, whether it's a non-invasive approach, minimally invasive or major procedure. At the end of the day, you know, a lot of people are faced with having little to no options. And in all actuality, that may not be their reality. That may not be their truth. That may not be their only option. And so, you know, based on my own personal experience, you know, is honestly what really, uh, Driven, drove me to really create the fibroid pandemic. And in all honesty, Karen, you know, I almost named my company the fibroid epidemic. And full transparency, I Googled that shit. I was like, okay, what's the difference between a pandemic and epidemic? Right. And as I continue to do my research on uterine fibroids as a whole, I realized that the name is so very fitting because it truly is a pandemic. It's, it's a global issue. It impacts approximately 80% of people with a uterus. And I have to say people with the uterus because I used to say women until I got attacked. <laughs> but mm -hmm. then, you know, I'm open, you know, I'm always open to learning. And it is very true. It's very fitting to people with the uterus. Um, about 80% of them will develop uterine fibroids at some point in their life. And about 80% of that segment are black 
women, yes. you know, um, and because of that, you know, it's, this is actually taking a, on a whole storm against our culture. And this is something that should be in the news more often. You know, we hear about right. the term Susan G. Komen. If I right. say the term Susan G. Komen, you're automatically going to think of, you know, breast That's cancer right. awareness and the breast cancer walk. Well, why aren't people out doing walks about fibroids? It impacts so many people across the globe that this should be one of the main items that should be at the top of a anyone's docket, anyone's conversation, any type of regulatory, um, you know, um, suggestions or whatever you want to call it. But yeah, this is truly a pandemic and the fibroid pandemic is, you know, here to really help people find some type of healing within their lifetime. I love that. I love that because I feel like most of the time we get our education from just from our doctors, right? And or a plant, a pamphlet, maybe to kind of explain it. You don't have, you know, someone, and I said this earlier before we started recording, someone that looks like you, someone that's been in that situation, having those conversations and telling you what your options are. Mm -hmm. And I think that's scary for me as someone who is a mom, has a uterus, has children, who are girls who have a uterus and you're like, well, where are we getting our, where are we pulling our resources from? Where mm -hmm. are we looking for options? Are we just going to whatever our doctors tell us? Or are we looking out there and seeing what's best for us when we talk about fibroids and how they affect each of us individually? Right. You know, it's very true. And it's very unfortunate because to your point, a lot of people are not getting any information from their doctor. Me, Perfect example, you know, I was going to my OBGYN for about 12 and, a, 12 and a half years. I thought we had a very great relationship until it happened to me, it being the uterine fibroid diagnosis. At the time, my boyfriend and I, um, he and I decided that we were a little bit too old, too mature to have an unplanned pregnancy. So we both agreed that I would go on a marina IUD. After a certain number of years, the IUD has to be replaced. So I went to go get the IUD replaced and they could not locate it. So they sent me over to ultrasound and not only was the ultrasound tech um, able to locate the actual IUD, first she did a topical and she couldn't find it. So then she went vaginal and um, not only was she able to locate the IUD, but she also saw fibroids. So her with quote unquote good bedside manner, she said to me, oh, there's the IUD. By the way, how are your fibroids coming along? And my oh, response yeah. was, what's that? Right. And she was like mortified. She was completely mortified. And um, her reaction kind of startled me. And I was like, okay, wait, hold on, what's going on? So she's like, no, 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 no big deal. I should go back and talk to the doctor. For the sake of the conversation, we'll call her Dr. Smith. So I go back into Dr. Smith's office. Now, remember, this is all within the same exact doctor office, all within the same exact doctor visit. So right. we're talking about an hour, hour and a half, right? Get back in there and the doctor's like, yeah, so the tech saw some fibroids on your ultrasound. We recommend a hysterectomy. What? All within the same exact doctor visit. Now, by profession, I'm an employee benefits consultant. So, Karen, I am I'm on the front line negotiating multi-million dollar contracts with insurance carriers on behalf of employers. So companies that have anything anywhere between 500 to 5,000 employees I'm on that front line managing these multi-million dollar contracts. For one, very stressful as hell because there aren't many people who look like me on the front line. Right. Okay. Number two, I see these doctor and hospital bills. So I knew immediately that a hysterectomy is a major surgery. Right. So I go, well, wait, wait, hold up, time out. 
<laughs> time out. Yeah. So I start probing her for all these questions and in all honesty, she couldn't really give me anything. So I was like, well, well, what are they? How did I get them? Are they sexually transmitted? Um, is it hereditary? Can you just take the IUD out and they'll just go away? Like what, what's going on with my body? And I felt like my body was betraying me and I'm very cavalier. Yeah. She's like, well, you know, they're just, you know, they're just like kudzu. You cut them away and they'll just grow back. So this doctor who I had been going to for 12 and a half years, right, compared my womb, the place where all humankind actually develops. Mm -hmm. She compared my womb to kudzu, freaking weeds that grow outside. She compared my womb to kudzu. How about she just said she'd take it away that fast without... Oh, yeah. Oh, that was the first... You know, like, we'll just take it out. You know, you don't need it. What? Wait, what? Exactly. And so she could, didn't really give me much to go on. So I left confused, frustrated, scared, got home to my boyfriend and I didn't really have much to, to give him. So that added another layer of frustration and another layer of emotions that I didn't even really know or I wasn't really even really ready to deal with. Because right. um, now he's looking at me sideways like, what the hell you got? <laughs> yeah. You know, and that honestly started my um, my journey, my fibroid healing journey. Wow. That's that's an amazing story that you're able to come through on the other end mm -hmm. and support other women. But mm -hmm. it's also devastating to know that you walk in a doctor's office and this is such a critical part of being a woman and being able to have children if that's a decision that you want or don't want. I think people can decide to have kids or not decide to have kids, but knowing that it's taken away from you is a very, very tough thing to live with. Like maybe I didn't want it, but I didn't want you to tell me I couldn't have it. And maybe I did want it and you just took that away from me. Um, but yes, my experience was much like that. Um, I don't even remember what it was like when I found out I had fibroids. The last time I had a discussion, I was pregnant. And in my ultrasound, they told me that I had a fibroid and that it was squeezing on my baby's face. And that as my baby continued to grow, it was going to continue to grow. Um, but there was never any guidance. And after Jace was born, it was the same thing you said. The doctor nicely was like, well, if you're not going to have any more kids, you can take your baby carriage out to be exact. And I was like, wait a minute. I didn't say I want to have any more kids, but I didn't say I wanted to take anything out. Right. <laughs> you know? Um, and I think doctors become desensitized. Uh, this is totally like off a subject. And I usually don't share so much of my personal life, but I feel like I could share with you. Um, a year ago, I had a lump in my breast and I didn't mm -hmm. tell anyone. I didn't tell anyone. Nobody. I think one person in my life knew. Nobody else knew. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of like put it off and put it off and put it off. And I go to my OBGYN and she obviously is doing my exam. And I'm like, well, I should probably tell her. Mm -hmm. And she sends me for an ultrasound. And like you said, the ultrasound, the first ultrasound, the first mammogram, they're like, you can't leave. And I'm like, oh shit. Mm -hmm. They're like, you gotta stay and do an ultrasound. Like you can't do just a man, you gotta do an ultrasound. I'm like, oh shit. Mm -hmm. um, and then they just cut, they leave me in that room and I'm just sitting there in the dark. Like, I know this isn't good because most people don't get this far. Right. right. You stop Absolutely. at the mammogram. You yep. don't stay afterwards and have yep. to like do an ultrasound. And then they were like both breasts. Um, and she just walked in and she was like, your breasts are chock full of cysts. That was exactly what she said to me. And I was like, all right, well, what does that mean? Like, what are we going to do? Why is this lump here? And she was just like, if I drain them, they're just going to come back. 
And I was like, okay, so I've been thinking I got breast cancer all this time. Y'all not going to say nothing. Y'all not going to do anything. And and that was the end of the conversation. Mm-hmm. It's very unfortunate because a lot of people have similar situations, you know, meaning that the conversation is very limited with their doctor. You know, now I understand that doctors don't know everything, but at the same token, we do depend upon you to help educate us to the best of your ability. And right. just telling people that your breasts are filled with chalk full of cysts or, hey, just get a hysterectomy. It's like kudzu. That right. is completely unacceptable. It should, quite frankly, in my opinion, I think it should be freaking illegal. Yeah. Because we're dealing with people li- people's lives here, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're going into this with our whole life depending upon this one person to help right. guide us. You know, right. in so many words. And it's unfortunate because, I mean... If you can only imagine how many people I talk to time after time after time again with very similar experiences. It can't be all in our minds. We can't all possibly be making this up, you know, and and with me, while I don't know what it feels like, quote unquote, to be in need of a hysterectomy, I knew immediately that I didn't feel sick enough to go under the knife to have a serious surgery like that. Right. And um, if you can only imagine how... frightening it was to be charged with the fact that now I have to take my womb into my own hands. Right. I started to read medical journals. Some I could understand, some I could not, but you better believe I had my head in those darn medical journals reading them. Scholar articles. Um, I did various different types of coaching programs. Um, I went vegan. I did vegetarian. I actually did it opposite. I went cold turkey vegan. Then um, it didn't work quite as well so I went vegetarian I was vegan for almost a year Mm -hmm. then I went vegetarian I did yoga I did qigong um you name it I probably tried it you know I did teas and topical ointments right um salves all types of stuff you know I did reiki you know and um I did sound healing a little bit of that not much then I eventually did um, settle on uterine fibroid embolization UFA. Um, and right. so that's basically where they cut off the blood supply to the artery that's feeding the fibroid. And it's not for everybody, but it worked for me. And I would do it again if I had to. Yeah, I've had people that I know that have done that mm-hmm. um, and have been successful with it. Um, I haven't done it. Uh, mm-hmm. Because like you said, I haven't been in enough pain or it felt uncomfortable to the point where I feel like, I want to go under the knife, Um, but, and, and, but I do have very heavy periods, you know, when they tell you, you could wear a pad for three or four hours. I'm like, "Mm, no, 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 I can't. Um, And I've just learned to listen to my body. I have gone, um, I'm not vegan. I do not eat meat anymore, however. Um, And I've made changes like that. I also know that a lot of the growth of your fibroids have to do with your hormones. And so part of that for me is um, I have a lot of estrogen, like mm-hmm. a lot, like don't look at me, I'll get pregnant amount of estrogen in my body. <laughs> um, and some women are not as fortunate, they have less, but I have an overproduction of estrogen, mm-hmm. um, which makes me, voila, very feminine and very like, wait, you look great in your boobs, but um, it causes fibroids, it causes cysts, it causes very heavy periods and things of that nature. and. And, you know, you just have to learn how to balance that and, and take care of yourself and like know your body. 
Right. And it's so I love the fact that you mentioned that because knowing your body is is step one. Really understanding who you are, really understanding whose you are, understanding what your goal is, what's your end goal, what's your end game, right? And you're right. I mean, a dominance of estrogen is one of the main culprits of uterine fibroids, along with several other things. What people don't realize is that estrogen is in so much of the food that we eat. It's ridiculous. That should be illegal. I always talk about what should be illegal, but I mean, you know, dairy products for number one, you know, I mean, even when your doctor prescribes your birth, birth control pills and it may be a low dose estrogen, but it's still feeding your body extra estrogen that I did not have previous to that, you know? And even if your, your estrogen, your progesterone levels are very similar, almost even, Estrogen should never be as high as your progesterone. So that's still considered to be a dominance of estrogen. And people don't realize, like, I mean, estrogen dominance is very debilitating. It's very, um, it's actually, it can potentially become life-threatening, you know? And what's frustrating to me, I heard you say that you have very heavy menstrual cycles. You know, number one, I try to tell people, if your menstrual cycle lasts longer than seven days, that's not normal. It's right. common, extremely, extremely common, but it is not normal. I'll, oftentimes, these doctors will put patients on birth control pills because of, to help control their period, when all they're really doing is really prolonging the situations and or and or put, possibly making it even worse. Right. You know. So, with that being said, when your doctor puts you on birth control pills, yeah, your menstrual cycle may not be as bad, but because it's feeding you all this extra estrogen. Right now, behind the scenes, these cysts and these fibroids are growing and it gets to a point, like you said, when you're pregnant, your doctor tells you that, hey, the fibroids growing along with your child. Like, okay, so I come to you every single year. I've been going to my OBGYN for 12 and a half years. You never thought to mention that there were fibroids on my uterus. Like, how how did I go from getting annual checkups, annual, you know, pelvic exams to a hysterectomy? Like that just right. does not add up. And I that's I definitely do believe that doctors need to be held accountable, you know, held accountable for educating, at least notifying, giving options, you know, and, and don't stop at what you only specialize in. Be real with your client. Be real and, and open and forthcoming with your patient. Explain to them that there's what's called watchful waiting. You don't have to do anything about the fibroids. You don't have to. In your situation, you don't have to do anything, right? You know, if they're not getting worse, and if you are able to um, cope with them, you don't have to do anything. They are considered non-cancerous tumors, probably a small percentage, single digits, maybe three, three percent, three to five percent of fibroids do develop into being becoming cancerous. Um, so the odds are very, you know, are are not stacked against you, which is a good thing. Um, but then there's also minimally invasive procedures. There's UFE, there's ASESA, there's um, there's so many other things, you know. And then you get into the more um, invasive procedures and, you know, even the, the holistic, you know, you can do holistic where you are changing your diet. You're right. incorporating um, Reiki, uh, Qigong, yoga, exercise, um, you know, and you're really by by what I would say combining all of those items, it can really help reduce a lot of the fibroid bulk symptoms tremendously. I know that personally, you know, and then the, the major surgery should be something that should be kind of considered at towards the 
latter part of the process, right? Now, don't don't get me wrong, Karen. Everyone's situation is different. Some people I know, some women right now today who are in their 20s, 30s, and 40s who wear a Depends because their menstrual cycles are so very bad. I know women right now in their 20s, 30s, and 50s who do not leave the house during the first two to three days of their menstrual because their menstrual cycle is so very bad. Yeah, I know women who don't even bother buying um, sanitary products. They just do free bleeding because their menstruals are so very bad. That should be an alarm to these doctors. That should right. be an alarm to the community. There's something going on, you know? And so um, with that being said, you know, things like a, if you want to go to the, the major route, you know, because I know some people who say, you know, uh, my hysterectomy changed my life. I'm so happy I did it. And that's great. But right. the issue I have is when it's the first and only option that you're right. given. Same. Same. Like I said, it was, it was, oh, well, if you don't need to take it out. And I'm just like, but I didn't say that. I didn't want to take, like, I don't know how we go from zero to a hundred. Exactly. You know, exactly. And something you said really stuck with me. And it was just that doctors tend to specialize in I'm an OBGYN. I'm a, you know, podiatrist. I'm a this, I'm a that. Instead of looking at a patient, maybe holistically mm-hmm. and saying, okay, well, what are these other things that might be affecting this and how could we change these things first? Mm-hmm. Right. I think it's kind of like you said, we just focus on here and these are the three things I can do for you. And that's that instead of saying, all right, well, let me look at you as a being. Mm-hmm. Right. Let me look at what you're consuming. Let me look at your body type. Let's look at your genetics. Let's figure it out that way and look at you holistically as a as a human and as a complete person versus I'm going to just isolate this part of your body. And I'm going to tell you these are the one or two things I can do. You can leave it like this. You can take it out. You know, I just feel like it's unfair to kind of treat someone in other parts of our lives. We're like, let's look at people holistically as educators, as you know, when you're looking at a full case and, and things like that. And then when we come to our medical, you're, we're not doing that. And I just don't Mm -hmm. understand that. You know, I'm not less of a person in a particular office. You're so true. I mean, that is so spot on because what happens is they treat it like it's a one size fits all and it's not. It's actually one size doesn't even fit most, you know, and with that, with with knowing that you have to approach it delicately, patiently and differently with every individual. You know, there are some people who can get a laparoscopic myomectomy. I was not a candidate because the size of the fibroids, my two smallest ones were um, five centimeters and seven centimeters. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 11 centimeters and, and seven centimeters. So 11 is about the size of a grapefruit. Right. And I'm sorry, excuse me. Seven is about the size of a grapefruit. 11 is about the size of a small watermelon. So no wonder why people were asking me where I, was I pregnant, you know? Uh-huh. And so that messes with your psyche as well. It does. You know, it messes with your psyche. And 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 when you get to the point to where you are, um, you're, you're packing clothes and sneaking extra pair of clothes in your gym bag just in case I'm putting extra pair of clothes in my work bag. You know how many times I hid that from my now husband because I didn't know how to articulate it. I, I didn't I didn't understand what was going on. I just it was something that became natural for me. And at some point I was like, wait, this is not natural. There are so many people who are doing that. But on top of that, they're suffering from what's called period poverty. And that should be a whole other 
<laughs> that's a whole other issue. What is period that. poverty? And so at period poverty is basically um, lack thereof having um, clean sanitary napkins, um, sanitary products. So people typically think of period poverty as you're in a third world country with flies all around you, you, you you're wrapped in a, in a tarp or whatever, and your stomach is really, really bloated and you don't have any type of food or anything like that. And, you know, um, no means to healthcare. That may be a part of it, but period poverty is for people like me as a single parent, when I, you know, I had my son at 19 years old and I had to decide if I want to, if I could afford extra sanitary products or pay for his school lunch. Right. Extra sanitary okay. products and, and or pay, pay for lunch. gas in my car in order to right. get to work to pay for my products right. <laughs> and to take care of our household. Um, extra sanitary products or simply something as simple as him doing extracurricular activities, you know, um, other sanitary products like deodorant, toothpaste, which one do I do? You know, that is the epitome of period poverty. But not only that, taking it a step further is, you know, a lot of these products that are on the shelves that we see, I actually call them unsanitary products. You know, the different name brands always in the Kotex and I can go on and on and on and I'm not bashing these companies. But what happens is a lot of these products are actually, um, they come from recycled products. Recycle, recycle plastics and recycled um, chemicals. And, you know, there are even some chemicals that are in these unsanitary products that are outlawed in other countries. Why are they allowed here? Right. And when you're yeah. using them at the base of your womb yes. or even up against your womb by way of a tampon, you yes. know, I mean, that, that that's really unsettling. Yeah, what it's doing actually, is literally feeding your, feeding your uterus a slow death. That's what I always call it. I actually read an article that someone wrote in college that tampons, I don't use tampons, by the way, mm-hmm. I've stopped using tampons and I don't use pads either. I just use a menstrual cup mm-hmm. um, and it's been a couple of years now. And that's a whole nother subject because a lot of people get on me about that and they're like, mm-hmm. I can't do it. And I'm like, well, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> you have to get comfortable with your body to be able mm-hmm. to do that. But um, I read an article in college about that a friend wrote about how the cotton in the tampons has bleach in it. And that bleach actually causes you to bleed longer. Bleed more. And and bleed more and thin that area of your cervix and vagina. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so um, my body never really liked them. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. I don't, they just, my body always tried to push them out. And so they were very uncomfortable for me. Mm -hmm. So I never, um, and then because I have heavy periods, I'm like, well, I'm wearing a tampon and a pad. What's the point? Mm-hmm. Um, because that's how heavy my periods were. Like, I'm gonna put a, ta- a super tampon in, and then still have to wear a nighttime pad. Like mm-hmm. when it was bad, it was bad. Um, yeah. And so I, I stopped. I, I stopped. Um, I stopped using them. I stopped using all of those products. Maybe about uh three, four years ago. No, mm-hmm. five years ago. I stopped using them, and um, I will not look back. Good for you. Good for you. But you're very spot on, Karen. You're right. I mean, a lot of the products are. Um, made with recycled, you know, products and like dioxins, one of the chemicals that is um, very prominent in a lot of these sanitary products. And if you just Google it and do research on it, it's actually outlawed in several different countries. Even some third world countries is actually outlawed. Um, wow. You think, yeah, exactly. 
And because what they do, they take these recycled products from when you're recycling, it's coming from a dump. They have to recycle it. Right. So just think of how precious our womb is. Right. And to your point, you're placing a tampon at the base of your womb, you know, right into your cervix. And that's that that that's the canal that the baby comes through. So um, it causes so many issues, so many womb wellness issues. And a lot of times you won't even realize it. And what happens, it's kind of like cigarettes. Your body becomes addicted to it. Like tobacco, the more you smoke, the more you want to smoke. The more you want to smoke, the more you smoke. The same exact thing with these sanitary products, to your point. They make you bleed heavier and longer. So the medical term is called menorrhagia. Menorrhagia is prolonged and or heavy menstrual cycles. So Mm. because of that, these products made with recycled chemicals, recycled products, they your body becomes more dependent upon them so what happens now your periods go from five days to seven days to nine days to 11 days to 45 days and not only that now you're using them you go from using three a day to five a day to now once changing it once every hour and a half for me when i first received the diagnosis of fibroids i couldn't really relate to people had very heavy menstrual cycles because i didn't it didn't exist for me my menstruals last about five days and um, I probably changed maybe three times a day. Well, I don't know what happened in my psyche, but about six months after the fibroid diagnosis, all hell broke loose. Right. Um, my menstrual cycles were so, so bad. I would have accidents. And for me, it was so, it almost became crippling because as I mentioned earlier, I'm an employee benefits consultant. So I am standing at the front of the room doing open enrollment educational seminars and meetings. So, you know, during renewal, when your employer goes through renewal, they now everything's like virtual. But we were doing all that in person. I was traveling out of state to do these educational seminars. And when my menstrual cycles on, I had to try to plan everything around my darn period. Right. That adds a whole other level of stress. Right. Right. So with that being said, you know. After everything broke loose, I remember the exact day. I remember exactly where I was. I um I had an accident at work. What my last accident, well, not the last, but when I was over it, the pivotal moment for me, I couldn't take it anymore. I remember calling my husband. I was in a car hysterical, crying. And he's like, well, what do you want me to do? I didn't have an answer. I was like, I don't know. I just can't take this anymore. So I remember calling one, because I had like four different consultations. I called one of the doctor's offices and I said, um, Number one, I am not, and I cannot wait until you get this approved with with my insurance. Number two, I'm paying cash. Number three, I need you to get me on your calendar ASAP, like this week. And they're like, well, Mrs. Zoe, we don't normally do that. And I don't care. I need in like right now. Um, They placed me on hold for quite a a long time and came back. It's like, well, if we were to go outside of insurance, it'd be about $50,000. I was like, oh, I'm just joking. Never mind. No, <laughs> just joking, girl. But um, that was a reality check for me. That was a reality check for me. And um, that's why I decided to do something about it. Yeah. And the thing is, is that statistically about people usually wait about three to five years before they start acting on it. I probably waited about, well, I started to act on it almost immediately, meaning when I started to do my research and started to do the right. coaching programs and all of that. Um, but yeah. People wait three to five years and it becomes it it usually is more likely just to get worse. So right. it's best to act sooner than later. 
That's good to know, because I think a lot of people think like, oh, it's normal. Like, I, it's such a common word that I hear. Mm -hmm. I know so many friends. And I think a lot of people might just sit on it a little longer because it doesn't feel in some cases like a sense of urgency. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing this right now, but you're probably also not paying attention to what it's doing to your life in right. the meantime. Um, I want to ask you. Uh, because there's a lot of men that listen to this show. There's mm -hmm. a lot of dads that listen to the show. There's a lot of people in relationships that listen to the show. And I do think to some extent, this does affect the relationship because your partner is going through something, right? They are battling just like any kind of medical crisis that someone will be battling. And in certain spaces, if someone says, um, you know, this is what we need to do your uterus, it also affects your relationship with each other and the and the decisions that you make together um regarding your family so how do how do how would like somebody deal with that how does a man look at this and say okay how can i be supportive and how can i be there for my partner because i i i can't i can only listen i i've never been through it i don't mm -hmm. know what it feels like i don't know what that's like that's a really good question number one i would say patience 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 because Think of it like um, chances are she may not understand what's going on with her body herself. So when she's telling you that her period's been on for 15 days, don't get irritated and think, oh, she's just lying. She's just not in the mood. No, she's probably telling the truth. When her period's been on for 45 days, like, well, how's that? So it's just on two weeks ago. Well, yeah, this is a reality that she's dealing with. So number one, be very, very patient and ask questions. Ask questions and, you know, without the frustration because understand she may not understand so she may not have all the facts and all the information to answer the questions um but be supportive in a way to where you're there for her i'll give you an example of what i mean by that so um i'm gonna try to get emotional when i talk about this so my doctor i was going to for 12 and a half years i um i decided i wanted to get the iud taken out I wanted it out because in my mind, Karen, this IUD was feeding a slow death to my uterus and I need to take it out ASAP. And in my mind, Karen, having the IUD removed was going to make all my fibroid issues go away. <laughs> Low, was I sadly mistaken? So um, my doctor, I, I scheduled an appointment. I went there to have the IUD removed and um, I hear, whoa. So women <laughs> were, were on the table, bottoms naked, legs open up in the stirrups. When you hear the word, uh-oh, you are almost immediately going to like sit up. Like what, what, what's going on? Like, no, 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 no. And I instantly felt my bottom getting warm. And I was like, um. then I started to get lightheaded. I'm laying on the table in the doctor's office, hemorrhaging. I don't know if she punctured my cervix or what she never said, but she couldn't get the IUD out. Can you imagine how much blood I was losing if I was lying flat on my back and I got lightheaded? Yeah, I was losing I, I, I'm just scared listening to it. I was losing a I can't imagine. And I said, what's going on? And she said, just be still and don't move. So of course I'm getting lightheaded. Now I'm getting afraid. I'm becoming like really, really scared now. And so, you know, they had the extra, the extra person there. And I said to the girl, cause again, I was going there for a long time. So I kind of felt like I knew these people. And I said, you know, I'm really afraid. She's like, just relax, don't move. So she runs out, they come back with all this gauze and she pops a tampon 
into my Wuha and um, told me to just relax for a little while. They brought a Coca-Cola. I don't even drink soda. They brought a Coca-Cola soda and um, told me just to wait. I didn't realize what was going on. My bottom was wet because I was hemorrhaging and they were afraid to let me leave because they didn't know, you know, what the outcome was going to be. So that's why I had to wait. And actually I waited until um, the office closed. So I was probably there about an hour, hour and a half. And um, the bleeding stopped. And she said to me, um, she came back. It's like, okay, well, we got the bleeding to stop. And this is going on. Just, You're a really difficult one here today. And so she didn't take any responsibility that maybe she did something? Because you didn't come in there like that. I didn't come in there like that. And for me, if you can understand how frightening it was to lay there in a doctor's office, fully exposed, not having any answers and to be told that you're a difficult one, for one, as a educated black woman, we never want to be pegged as being difficult. And when you are challenged when asking questions. That adds a whole other element of frustration, anxiety, which then is like a domino effect because that extra stress adds to the development of uterine fibroids. So needless to say, I um, getting back to the point about what men can do to help support women, right? So um, I left the doctor's office and I never been back there actually. And I one of my friends worked for the CDC here in Atlanta. So she reached out one of her doctor friends and they referred me to another doctor in Midtown Atlanta. I went to go get the IUD removed. And so um, the night before I told my husband, I go, well, you know, remember I'm going to that doctor. He's like, yeah, you mentioned it like a hundred times. That was part of my anxiety. I didn't realize it. Right. I didn't realize I kept telling him, hey, I got this doctor appointment because they're going to try a second time to try to get the IUD removed. And um, that morning I drove down. I was really nervous and I got to the doctor's office and um. Right before they called me back, I looked up. My husband was walking in. I had no idea that he even knew where the doctor's office was. And when I tell you, that was such a level of comfort. Because I didn't realize how afraid I was. I knew I was nervous, but I didn't realize how afraid I was. And he's like, you said about a hundred times. I knew you were afraid. He's like, did you never talk about stuff like that? And so um, that was his first time ever being in an OBGYN office actually watching. Luckily, he was kind of standing to my back, so he couldn't really see. But um, just having him there just was such a support level that I can't even put into words. So when you ask what can men do, be understanding, be patient is number one, ask questions, but be there for her. Because as I mentioned, she probably does not understand what's going on with her body. So any unnecessary stress is just going to add more complications to the entire situation, but more so pay attention to her body. I didn't realize how, um, how protruding my, my abdomen was. I just chop it up to the fact that I was getting older. You know, I had a son. Yeah, I work out quite often, but I had a son and I'm getting older and I work all the time. I'm just tired, you know, and not realizing that that lethargy was um, caused by the fibroid, you know? Um, so these are things that men can help pay attention to because as women, we put everyone first. We put our jobs first. Right. We put our friends first. We put our families first. We put our kids first. We put our household first. We come last, 
we use the last bit of that gas in the tank for ourselves. And usually that's when we're headed to bed, exhausted, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know? So different things like extreme lethargy, um, when your face breaks out, um, your, your nails become very brittle. You know, that can be a telltale sign of anemia. Anemia develops because of the uterine fibroid makes your, makes your menstrual cycle so bad. Women who are constantly in go mode, we may not pay attention to that. So th those right. are some things that men can do to help really, really support us. And, you know, Google stuff. Start looking up stuff and just say, hey, babe, have you thought about this? Or even pay attention to your daughters. You know, really get away from giving your daughters those regular, uh, again, unsanitary products because we have to get them when they're young because this is when doctors start putting them on birth control. This is when they really start exposing themselves to all these different types of chemicals. So just really, number one, being patient. Number two, be an understanding. Three, be there for her any way you can. And just help ask questions and help her understand what's going on. And try not to become frustrated and blame it on her. Yeah, I, I know I said a lot, but no, no, it's good. I definitely think we need to have that conversation on how to make sure that it feels like you're being supportive and understanding because mm -hmm. that person is just understanding, trying to understand what's happening to themselves, let alone have having to do that and think about somebody else. Right. And I just want to mention, I had a, um, several men, but this one in particular who, I, who would always stick out to me, he sent me a DM and he said that he wished he ran across my page sooner. Otherwise he may not be divorced because he didn't understand what was going on with his ex-wife's body. Wow. So, yeah. You know, um, and one time I was on an IG live session, Karen, and we're having a conversation like how you and I are having now. And a, a male put a comment, something to the effect of, oh, I'm happy I'm not a woman. And when I tell you that was extremely frustrating, I said exactly what I said to you. You need to be there. You need to be supportive because whether it's your your daughter, your sister, your mother, your your female cousin, your female best friend, your significant other, um, your auntie, a colleague, mm -hmm. any female who you love at some point is going to impact you directly or indirectly. So this is information you want to know. Right. And um, he did actually apologize. <laughs> I think sometimes people think like, oh, well, that doesn't happen to me. It doesn't matter. Exactly. You know? And it does matter because especially if you love someone, they're suffering somehow. It doesn't matter what your relationship is with them. If they're dealing with something medically and they're suffering, then you need to be there for them. Be there for as them. As you can. And, and by being supportive. Yeah, Absolutely. For sure. And reassure her that it's OK. You know, reassure her that you're there. Because in all honesty, at one point, I, I just knew like, oh, he's not going to want to be with me anymore because my menstrual cycles are lasting very long. And who wants to deal with that? You know, I'm a 40 something year old woman. I'm having accidents. Like who wants to deal with that? You know, it's very, um, it's very embarrassing. And that's one of the main reasons why people don't talk about fibroids as much because it usually ties back to a woman's menstrual cycle and nobody wants to talk about heavy periods and pain and bloating and constipation. And, 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 and in a relationship, not feeling sexy. And I got, cause that's a whole nother, like when you're on your cycle, you're just like, look, I don't feel, it's not, it has nothing to do with you, sir. I don't feel sexy. Right. I don't feel comfortable. My body's doing what it's not even listening to me right now. So, you know, it's very hard to be intimate in a space like that. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and so you need a partner that understands that because that's a process in itself.
Absolutely. You know, and then also looking at your body and saying, okay, this is happening to me. I don't want this, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and having those conversations. So it's harder than what people think it is. And I think we need to give ourselves grace as women and understand that. And then when we're supporting someone else, we need to give them grace and allow them to kind of grow through whatever that process that they're growing through is. Absolutely. Giving grace can, when I tell you just allowing grace, extending grace, that can really um, be so comforting. It can be so fulfilling, more than what you'll probably ever know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we need to do that in all aspects of life personally, but that's just me. I think there's space for all of us to put our guard down a little bit and understand that the, the next person's human. Absolutely. Um, but that's only on my planet. I don't know about the rest of everybody <laughs> else here. Um, thank you so much, Latoya Dwight, for coming and stopping by and talking to us about fibroid and the fibroid pandemic. Where can everybody find you if they want to do more research about you and your company and the work that you're doing? Absolutely. So, um, Karen, for one, it was definitely a pleasure. I can't believe time went by so fast. This is such yeah. a authentic, natural, organic conversation. Come back again. We'll do it again. <laughs> so um, thefibroidpandemic.com. You can find me online. You can also find me on Instagram at thefibroidpandemic, on Facebook at thefibroidpandemic, on YouTube at thefibroidpandemic. I need to actually be on, get back on YouTube more often. Um, and uh, on Clubhouse at fibroidpandemic. Um, yeah, so that's where you can find me. You can send me a DM, send me an email. And I'll definitely get back to you. Wonderful. Well, I'll make sure that I uh, put all that information out so that you can get it. If you have any questions or want to do some research for yourself or somebody that you love, we'll make that information available to you. Um, Thank you so much again. I appreciate you. Absolutely. It was such a pleasure, Karen. Live. Say it loud, the radio show.